welcome to Lit. I am so excited for everybody to be here today and to be talking about Brandon Sanderson's uh, flagship trilogy, Mistborn. And joining me today is Abby and PJ from Conspiracy Pilled. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Jess? Shut up, PJ. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's already that. started. <laughs> I am so glad you guys are here with me today. I'm so glad <clears throat> that you guys read this book. I love this book. I love this series. Yeah, you guys had both read it previously, and I had only just finished it in the last... Well, the first... I'm two books out of three in uh, in the last couple of weeks, but I'm really digging it, so... I finished the third one not that long ago, so I'm pretty fresh, and I'm going to try not to give spoilers for the second two, because we're only talking about the first book, and everything that's fresh in my mind is from the third one, so... I feel this so much, because I read this book series back in 2016 for the first time, and now all of it is just jumbled in my head as like one cohesive story. So trying not to spoil things, not just in the first book for the first half of the show, but for the rest of the series, because so much of the story fits together so well. Um, so like always, I'm just going to read everybody off the back of the book, see what we feel just going into it as though we had never read it before. All right. The Miss Rule the Night. The Lord Ruler Owns the World Once a hero arose to save the world, a young man with a mysterious heritage courageously challenged the darkness that strangled the land. He failed. For a thousand years since, the world has been a wasteland of ash and mist, ruled by the immortal emperor known as the Lord Ruler. Every revolt has failed miserably. Yet somehow hope survives. Hope that dares to dream of ending the Empire and even the Lord Ruler himself. A new kind of uprising is being planned, one built around the ultimate caper, one that depends on the cunning of a brilliant criminal mastermind and the determination of an unlikely heroine, a street urchin who must learn to master Alamancy, the power of a mistborn. What do you guys think? I, I think the first half of it sounds like the, the intro to a, like a Legend of Zelda game. And then I love how it all of a sudden it's like, and then there's like this giant caper. And I'm like, okay, now I'm now I'm listening. That's right. one of my favorite things is like the, you know, the the fact that the heroes in this first book are are criminals. Like they're, they're pulling off the, the biggest heist ever. I love that. I love that they're criminals and they're like, let's go defeat God. Right. <laughs> I mean, basically, because the Lord <clears throat> Ruler is this big immortal being no one's ever been able to successfully challenge him before he's at least been around for a thousand years i mean that's a big undertaking for a couple of criminals a little bit a little bit a little bit and their their basic the hopelessness that goes into it is fascinating to me of like it's it's suicidal in in so many ways like they have no reason to believe they can pull it off and they're just like there's nothing else to do let's just try i think it speaks very much to the human condition that even in such a hard and dark place there is this desire for freedom uh from oppression and i think that's one of the best driving forces of the whole novel because like you said so much of it is hopeless so much of it is depressing but they continue to drive forward anyway 
Yeah, I feel like the, it really sets up <clears throat> that whole dynamic. Interesting, like you said, the guy has to be crazy to try, to try to pull this off. And right in the beginning, you've got Kelsier kind of meeting those people who are just like, what's the hope? What's the point? You're just going to come here. You're going to stir up trouble. It's going to create problems. He's like, I'm going to stir up trouble, but you know, we'll see what happens. I, I just, I like that he's kind of unhinged the whole book. Like he's, right. he, like, even his friends are like, eh, is this guy... This guy that we're following, is he just nuts? Like we are challenging who everybody is, you know, assumes is God in their universe. Right. Yeah. So to just kind of set up the world for everyone, this takes place in the dystopian world of Scadrial. Uh, ash constantly falls from the sky. All the plants are brown. There is this dark, creepy, supernatural mist that cloaks the landscape every night. Uh, I already don't want to walk outside at night. I can't imagine living in a world like this. Uh, seems very silent, hilly. Too yeah, creepy. that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Right? And then there are these things that we later find live out in the mist. Ooh, I, I can't wait to talk about those. I, I'm I so disappointed at myself that this entire time I never made that reference to Silent Hill. How could you not make that I don't know. I'm a huge Silent, Silent Hill fan. <laughs> and now that you're saying it, I'm like, you know, I'm like thinking back to the video games. Like I see this town in my dreams, you know, this whole thing. So... I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm happy for you. You should. You should. (laughs) Our next game stream, we're going to have to play Silent Hill. We have to. We have to. We really have to. Yeah. But, you know, the world wasn't always like that. Uh, The thousand years before the Lord Ruler ascended to his throne, there was some darkness called the deepness that was slowly creeping up on the land. Uh, But then the Hero of Ages was said to have defeated it or tried. And it didn't work out so well. So now they have the Lord Ruler and all of society is basically broken up to into a two-class system. There's the nobility that are the high class. They're known for their skills in allomancy, which is the magic system, which we'll get into. And then there's the ska. They're the peasant class. The, they're supposedly the descendants of the ones who didn't support the Lord Ruler and his grab for power. But they have all of the characteristics that the nobility don't have. So they're more fertile. Supposedly they're mentally slower, but all of our heroes are ska. So I don't know how much that of truth that is. Uh, they're taller and stronger. But the key thing is here is that nobility can have allomancy, whereas ska cannot. So if a ska has allomancy, it's because they're, I guess, a uh, mixed breed between nobility and ska. I don't know how you would refer that. <laughs> Yeah, half breed. Yeah, half whatever. Breed. Yeah. I don't like saying that either, but <laughs> no. <laughs> but it, it's a very interesting system um, going on there. It in the way that the class system is broken down, it kind of reminds me of Red Rising, where you, and that's how it is with every totalitarian government. There's always going to be an underclass that is oppressed massively to build up the richer classes. Right. It's the aristocracy versus the plebes, essentially. Essentially. Yeah. Which, <clears throat> even in systems that pretend like this isn't the case, this is the case, right? I, yes. I mean, even in America, we get all of our cell phones from China. We get all of our goods from overseas. We send all of our recycling overseas because we don't want to deal with it here. I mean, 
to pretend we, that we don't live like that. That's that's an interesting point because it does it, it does kind of point out to be like, oh look, we don't have the same aristocracy here that they had in Europe. We've got you know this mobility thing. It's like yeah, we don't have them here. We just shipped them <laughs> we outsourced them. Yeah, we outsourced yeah. our our plebeians to other countries. We outsourced yeah. our slavery. Yeah, well, literally. I mean, look literally. at Nike and Apple. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, so many pictures we'll see in this book of real life, I think. Uh, there's also a, kind of a separate class of people, though, I guess. Um, they were just... Uh, how would you describe the terrorist people? I, it's not like they're really a class. They're kind of like... Am I getting this wrong? I'm just going off of kind of the the dress of the people and the voice mm-hmm. that's done in the audiobook. But they're kind of like the native American type people mm. like they're kind of like this tribal uh, very kind of in their old ways searching for their old gods kind of thing but yeah they're they're separate they're like they're kind of like killed off to a certain extent to try to get them to you know be a little bit more manageable but they're they're not the same they're not like the Ska and the nobility which are essentially you can't tell them apart from what from what everybody says like that's why the Ska right. are able to infiltrate the nobility and things like that because just looking at them, they're not different. But when you're talking about the terrorists, they actually do look and dress different. Right. Yeah. They, so. they, I thought that Brandon Sanderson was trying to make them kind of the Jews of like this people group that's super, super duper oppressed because people are scared of them and, mm-hmm. and their excellence. Um, very, yeah. very, knowledgeable holders of wit like keepers of wisdom this isn't necessarily all fitting uh like a one-to-one ratio with Jewish people in our society but it seemed like that kind of keeping ancient texts and being very careful to pass along wisdom to your children and things like that were all characteristics yeah that was it's it's interesting because like to me on one hand it felt like you know they have in all of the <clears throat> essentially every um, fantasy novel's got that like native people. Um, and this kind of felt like that to a degree, but on the other hand, it didn't at all. They weren't mm-hmm. like, they weren't really primitive or anything like that. No, they, they have just, so much dignity. Right. They're just set apart different, I guess. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really fit neatly into the class system. Right. And unfortunately, they're often used as servants to the new nobility and their eunuchs. So mm-hmm. going back to trying to suppress them because of that natural desire to pass on history, to pass on faith, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. becomes a great theme in Histori- this series. Historically, Abby's kind of right there, though. If you're thinking about eunuchs and, and like the great Babylon, like that would sound mm-hmm. like the Jews oh, yeah. after Babylon. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a good, good point. That's a good Daniel point. and his friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a good point. Like used for their excellence and for their knowledge, but well, not allowed to. Well, and also they had nation. like religiously right. had to dress differently and had to eat yeah. differently and had to do all these things. So that's actually a that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't either. Like you put that <laughs> just, together. Just, no. okay. <laughs> <laughs> None of us had this idea. Just magically appeared on. Yeah. I love it. That's why you get together for book club. You right. never know what you guys are going to come up with. I love it. And so we've mentioned Alamancy, so I guess we should talk about the magic system. This is by far one of my favorite magic systems yeah. in a book series. It is so well thought out, so put together. Uh, so the idea is, is that you can gain a supernatural ability by swallowing and essentially burning, I'm going to say. I think of like a chemical combustion reaction, I don't know, occurring right. in your stomach. You burn the metal and you 
receive a certain power based on the type of metal that you burn. So instead of me verbally going through it, let me show you this fun little chart where we can break it down together. All right, so iron basically pulls on your bimetals. Uh, if you're a misting, which means you can only burn one type of metal, uh, they're called lurchers. I This reminds me so much of like RPG elements in video it games. It does, yeah, like, You too. can pick a different class, which you can't really pick what type of misting you are. You're kind of born that way. Um, but if you pull on your bimetals, you can either pull them to you or if they're heavier than you, you are pulled towards it. So that creates a very interesting gravity situation. Uh, same thing with steel. If, you, if you're a steel pusher or a coin shot, you can push away from it. This is, I think, how they fly. They push and pull on metals. Right. If they're a I love I love the the kind of like it's not really flying, but like the bouncing. It, it, I, mm -hmm. I don't even know how you describe it, but just like this kind of, you know, pulling on metals and pushing on metals and doing this like kind of gliding, bouncing thing through the city is really. One so of we should probably clarify real quick. Most alamancers have just one of these right. powers, but Mistborn have all oh. of them. They can burn all right. of them. So. When we're talking about being able to fly, that's just people who can push and pull just with iron and steel. Right. Yeah, just misborn. But if you can push and you're just a uh, steel misting, you can basically shoot metals at mm. people. Right. You're basically like your own type of gun, essentially. Yeah, they that's all carry on coin. coin yeah, I was going to say, right. they carry on coin purses and just like throw them like, uh, like bullets at people. That's, that's crazy. And yeah. The Lord Ruler basically outlawed the invention of gunpowder, but he didn't really need to because people are killing each other with coins. Right. Which, yeah. The flagrant use of coins to just throw them away was all, all freaked me out this entire entire was I the only one like, was How do you have like, so much money? I was thinking of the whole time, I'm like, okay, they're throwing coins at each other, but who's who's picking these up? They're just like yeah. money's just being thrown around. Like they're killing people with money, essentially. Which is it's interesting considering that this is the nobility. So like to them. Right. Money's just a tool. It's just power. Mm -hmm. It's and if if power is killing people, then that's worth more than the power of purchasing. Mm -hmm. Essentially, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. I kept thinking of them like pennies. Like who even has pennies anymore? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I mean, if but, you're looking at like how the ska talk about it, like right. a couple of boxings is what they're called. Is right. like they're you know it's it's probably more like in olden days, like a gold coin or something, like you know, or a silver coin or something like that, mm -hmm. like. Basically, every time they shoot one, it's like a dollar mm. pre pre Biden economy, <laughs> right? Pre Biden economy, which right. oh. Oh, that hits. That R.I.P. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the ten eyes are really cool because it basically enhances all of your senses. They call it a ten eye because they're focused on eyesight, mm -hmm. but that but it enhances all of your senses. So, like, if you could burn ten, would food taste better? Ooh. Or worse, they don't. Worse. They don't ever talk about that, <laughs> right? Yeah, How? yeah, that's a good point. They never do talk about the food. It's like if I had cheesecake and I was a tin eye, I would be. I'd be the fattest person in the world. <laughs> I'm already enormous with cheesecake already. I can't imagine being a tin eye. Oh man, uh, pewter is basically like your big brawlers. They go in and <clears throat> beat people up. Pretty standard. Brass and zinc are very interesting to me. The ability to basically calm people down or rile them all up. I think that is so interesting. Yeah, and this and is kind of like the first power that you're introduced to because the, the character Vin, she thinks that she's... Well, she doesn't even know any of this stuff, but right. she 
think she only has the ability to soothe emotions. And uh, I find it interesting, like, as that aspect gets explored throughout the books, it's kind of like it's not just making people angry or calm. It's like picking specific emotions to suppress or specific emotions to, um, you know, in, I don't know, riot, I guess. But, yeah, I thought that was really like the subtlety of it is interesting. This is what I love about the magic system is that we are in a world that doesn't know much about this magic and so we kind of discover it along with the main character right so you know that this vast magic system exists but so much of it is a mystery even until the third book right yeah and i mean there are some medals that they talk about in later books which we're not going to mention here obviously because they take place in later books right spoilers um but these are the ones we get pretty much up front throughout this book Mm -hmm. and uh, like PJ was saying uh, before the stream, it's like Vin's big training montage, learning how to use each one of each these. Each one, yeah. Yep. It's pretty fun. And then the last one, uh, or the last pairing, is copper and bronze. One hides allomancy, and the other one reveals allomancy. And I think a lot of this just goes to show the care in which Sanderson approached uh, his magical system. Because a lot of times, if you read fantasy books, it's like one person is an ice mage or something, and everyone is like has the ability to attack someone. It's very rare that you have just these little abilities where you can hide someone or seek out someone. It makes it, for interesting groups too, because like does. as they attack as mistings, they'll have you know coppers there to hide that they're going to attack you they'll have brass or yeah sorry coin shots and lurchers and like they have this whole system of like how they fight together and i think right. that's really really super interesting it creates a system very much where they have to work together no misting is successful on their own which is truly what makes a mistborn so powerful because they mm-hmm. have all of these abilities at once as and- long as they have the metal to burn and they can, and what I also think is interesting about the Mistborns is that they can use them all simultaneously too. So it's not right. just like switching from one to the other. This I, I got to say, I, like the reason one of my biggest uh, things that I love about this book is that I have a hard time with fantasy novels where it's just like, and then he shot a fireball and killed everybody, right. and then oh my gosh, this guy he can't fight this like one easy dude, and then the next <laughs> th- time he like d- you know d- blasts this powerful shot and kills like five hundred people with no explanation. And it's just like if the need or if the need is there for them to be powerful, they're powerful. And if you need them to be weak to make the story more interesting, they're weak. But there's no explanation of how their power works. Like this all this whole system actually has limitations to it. It's got, you know, very it, it makes sense. Even even with uh pushing, like you said, with steel pushing, if you're pushing something bigger than you, you're gonna go flying backwards. Right. You can't just like shove a massive, you know, steel door down because you have a power. So the fact that the the limitations are there, they're understood throughout the whole book and they're consistent makes this a lot more fun, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. It it grounds it in reality despite it being fantastical. And so it's easier to suspend disbelief and get into the world, I think. Yeah. Did you ever, just out of curiosity, did uh, either of you ever read the uh, Sword of Truth series? I'm not. They're that good, but like so familiar. Yeah, so they're good, but like my biggest problem with it is the main character's um, magic ability 
is the more desperate he is, the more power he has. So like Aww. every single book plays out the same way where it's like, and then all hope is lost. And because all hope is lost, he can do like, he has the power to like warp the entire world around him out of nowhere. So, so it's you're really saying- kind of cheap. It's a, it's a deus ex machina in yes. every book. Yeah. That's so you're saying that Terry Goodkind created an excuse <laughs> to have and to be lazy with his magical writing. Days. So like Every the time. books are good for other reasons, but as far as the magical system goes, it's really cheap. They're good for like the philosophical reasons. Like they're interesting uh for the kind of political commentary, which is what Terry Goodkind was better at than uh but yeah. So this is the opposite of that. This is actually makes sense. That is funny. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. So we've built up the world. We've bit, built up the magical system. Now we should probably talk about the characters. Oh. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, they're in the book, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. guess. I guess they're important. For some I guess reason. they're important. <laughs> um, I actually kind of want to start by talking about the antagonists because I think that really sets the stage for what <laughs> is going on. And, of course, the primary antagonist is the Lord Ruler. Wh- what do you guys feel just like hearing that name, Lord Ruler? Who calls themselves that? The, the Lord, again, like it feels very Legend of Zelda, kind of Ganon, Ganondorf right. uh, character. But yeah, Lord Ruler. It's What's interesting to me is that when you said earlier that he is like their god, that literally is how these people look at him. Throughout the whole series, they still curse by the Lord Ruler's name. Right. Like instead of, oh my God, it's oh, oh Lord Ruler or Lord Ruler this or whatever. So like the whole, like they actually are looking at this person who became, you know, a thousand year dictator as as an actual, you know, man, a man god or whatever. So uh, yeah, Lord Ruler. It's just a weird name. It, it, it's like <laughs> I, I I couldn't figure out how to picture him for a long time. I just got like like Sauron vibe. Yeah, yeah. Am I terrible for thinking of the God King? Oh, the God yeah. King. <laughs> Jeremy, just Jeremy boring. boring with a flamethrower, <laughs> ruling a king. Actually, now I can see it. <laughs> Lord Ruler, lowercase R, lowercase, lowercase L. L, Lord Ruler. I love it. <laughs> that is amazing. So then that must mean that everybody at the Daily Wire is either an obligator or an inquisitor. Yes. That would make sense. Yeah. That is, that is the case. Andrew Clavin's definitely a steel inquisitor. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> have we covered those yet? Okay. No, so let's we haven't cover yet. those. So the obligators are uh, the officials in the ministry, uh, the steel ministry, which is basically, I guess, their church. So I hesitate to say it's like their church. dark Catholic church. <laughs> right. Yeah, it really is. It's to like, their religion of the Lord Ruler. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and they're basically consulted on every issue dealing with nobles, from things with taxes <sighs> to dealings with marriage. So they're involved in a lot of things sometimes shady things and then the inquisitors are basically really strong soldiers i don't know how else to put it they're they're kind of like the characters in every one of these where they've got this like kind of mystical non not quite human like they're like the ring wraiths of lord of the rings Mm. or the razak and aragon where they're kind of like not quite human but like inhumanly strong and creepy they're super creepy they have steel spikes Sticking out of their eyes. Yeah, they literally don't have eyeballs. They just have like railroad spikes driven through their eyes, sticking out the back of their skulls. And they're just like, yeah, that's cool. And that's what gives them their Mistborn-like abilities. Oh, it's super creepy. Yeah. Um, 
So you can tell that our antagonists are not super great. Uh, so our main characters have a lot stacked against them. And our main, main character is Kelsier. He's a ska mistborn uh, who was basically part of a thieving crew originally. He didn't really care about anything except surviving. And then he tries to steal a particular type of metal from the Lord Roller. You guys want to talk about what that metal was? Yeah, so this is Atium, and it's known as the 11th metal through most of the book. You don't even find out... Well, Kelsier doesn't uh, even know what it does. Wait, no. I think that, no, Atium and the 11th metal Oh, no, 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 I'm getting yeah. it wrong. He's trying to steal yeah. Atium, the 11th metal, yeah. something else. Yeah. The 11th, you got Sorry, it. They do, he does know what Atium is, but uh, right. do we want to talk about what Atium is or not? I guess is what I was thinking. We'll just kind of say that Atium... It's very interesting, and we'll get more into it a little bit later. Yeah, Maybe I got those two things confused for a quick second there. But yeah, ATM is kind of like their metal that they mine for, like their super secret right. currency for the elites. But right. it also has uh, a use that only Mistborns can use. Right. And yeah. so because he tried to steal this very expensive, very powerful thing, he gets thrown into something called the Pits of Hathsin. And that's where they're actually mining for these metals. Uh, kind of reminds me of the helium three mines where you have to be very careful. Uh, I know too many references to other books we've already talked about. No, it's fine because before we started, I kept referencing uh, Grim Noir Chronicles. I'll probably do it again. So it's, it does. I feel like that borrowed from this in a lot of ways. So I could see that. Yeah. Um. So while he's there, uh, he's also there with his wife, Mare. Uh, and if they don't get enough, ATM in a week, then they're basically killed. That's not a super effective way to treat your manual labor. I don't know how you maintain your labor, but that's what they were doing. Uh, and so he didn't get what he needed. Uh, so Mare gave him her share. And so, of course, she died and he lost his ever loving mind and then became a misborn and was able to escape. Uh, and then is back with his crew, has a new fire to fight against the Lord Ruler and against the final empire. And so they're working hard to try and overthrow him. And during that, they discover Vin. So who's Vin? Go ahead, Abby. I don't want to talk over you too much. <laughs> Vin is the, well, thank you, PJ. I uh, do it Vin enough. So I thought I would be gracious this time as your lowercase L Lord Ruler. You know. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Vin is the strong female lead. Um, trademark. Um, <laughs> I like her. I like her because she... She knows she has this power, but she just calls it luck. So she's like, well, I'm just going to use a little luck. <clears throat> and she has been on the streets her whole life. Um, she has her her brother's voice is always in her mind telling her things. Don't trust people. You know, there's betrayal in her past. There's this all this stuff that goes into making her this really interesting, really strong individual who isn't a whiner. Like she could easily be a whiner for how much she's been through, but instead she's just this very quick learner, very good attitude, um, just willing to jump in. So she falls in with this with this crew of thieves, and she's like, "Okay, um, sure." And they teach her about being a mistborn. Yeah, I love how quickly she falls in with this crew because it's not like she owes them anything. It's not like she owes them loyalty, money, whatever it is. But she sees something in Kelsier and what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And it 
we go back to the hope that I think is runs rampant throughout this whole book series. I think she sees that hope mm-hmm. that is coming out from Kelsier and from the crew because she really hasn't been given a lot of opportunities for hope in her life. That is what's so interesting about her character, though, is like Kelsier has like been through so much that he's decided he's going to laugh at every situation because he's like, either I could despair or I could laugh. So he laughs in the face of like some of the worst things that happen in this book as his defiance to to the Lord Ruler, to the Empire. And she she has to learn hope and trust and all these things. And it's not, I know that sounds corny coming off, but it's actually done in a very interesting way. I also want to talk about, you said her backstory with growing up on the streets and calling it luck. That's the other interesting thing about this too, is that like the regular Scar are not supposed to know about the Mistings, about the Mistborn, about the, the Alamancy. So she's grown up not in the circles that are kind of, that kind of know about it. She's not around the ska who have been, who are essentially, like you said, half breeds who uh, have inherited that from from the nobility. And mm-hmm. that's why the nobility actually, like they treat, like the way they treat slaves is so bad because that not only do they, you know, work them in the fields to death and put them in mines and all this stuff, but the, the nobility likes their uh, prostitutes and their prostitutes yeah. are generally ska. And because they don't want misborn or misting ska, they have to kill the prostitutes every time they sleep with them. So it's very rare for these people to be like the use of, of the ska for, for this purpose is not rare, but for the babies to survive is kind of rare. So that's why there's not so many of them. Yeah. I mean, and that brings up a good point about Vin's past because she is a misborn. That means Mm. that her father is nobility. And so we'll learn a little bit more about that as we go in. And I think this introduction kind of brings us to the spoiler warning point. Uh, So any last minute thoughts before we really get into it? No, let's do it. I want to spoil the crap out of this book. Okay. I I want to say, okay. I want to mention before we move on, probably of all of us, I, I like the series the least. I like it a lot, but Mm. I think I, I heard so many people tell me it was the greatest thing ever <coughs> and it just did not live up to the hype. And I think this is the problem that this series can fall into is it it's genuinely good book series, but I think so many people have never read a good book in their lives and then they just find this book and then rave about it. Like it's Lord of the Rings and it's not. <laughs> I, I actually agree with you. I've been enjoying the book, um, but I I'm generally someone who's not super into fantasy. So when I find a fantasy book that I like, it sticks out to me. So mm-hmm. I would say there's other books that are similar to this that I like better, but I still I still really enjoy it. I would, you know, we can get into like rating and all that stuff later, but yeah. Yeah. it's not my favorite, but it's definitely, I think, worth reading if you're in, if you think that the concepts are yeah. interesting, it's it's good enough. It's interesting enough to get through the, the trilogy. It's definitely clean, which I really appreciate. A yes. lot of fantasy is really gross. Terry Goodkind would be an example <laughs> of that. Yeah. Well, and despite it being so violent, because they don't pull punches here. I mean, yeah. in the first chapter, Kelsier goes in and kills a bunch of nobles. So, I mean, just slaughters them too. <laughs> yeah. And the characters are complex. There's lots of shades of gray in there. And you're right; it can be tempting to overhype a book when you haven't read a good book in like your life, so to speak. Right. It's not Lord of the Rings. Not trying to hawk it as Lord of the Rings. Uh, but I do think it is very good. It's one of the books that got me back into reading because I was listening to it while I was in chemistry grad school. I was bored all the time. 
doing <laughs> hard chemistry labor, so to speak. Um, and this really helped me kind of find that joy in reading again. So if you've been in a reading dry spell, I think it's a good place to pick up again. It's a good way to get into a really good magic system. Again, I, that's one of the things. I that's really actually love about it. a perfect way yeah. to say it because I've been in a reading dry spell and that's why I'm, I'm really digging this because I've, I think the last like five books I bought, I've been kind of disappointed in. So Aww. yeah, it's nice to get into something that I actually enjoy. All right. Well, here is everybody's spoiler warning. If you want to go read the book, go read it now and then come back. Mm. We'll still be here. All right, so this is how it ends. <laughs> no, so let's talk. I want to talk just a tiny bit more about um, Vin's backstory because we learned throughout the series that her mom killed her baby sister. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty intense. I, I haven't got through the third book, so I don't know if there's more about it, but it just it's one of those things that comes up and you're like, I don't know. I feel like there's maybe more there, but you probably you would know. So I don't know, but it's, it's, it's uh, would, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what's going with that, but it was it, it's it's pretty intense because one of the things you also didn't mention with with or you kind of brought up with Kelsier is that he snaps when he's in the mine. And that's kind right. of brought up too is like snapping is this idea that all these mistborns and mistings had to have gone through something traumatic for that power to like come forth in them. So it lies dormant in people until they have a kind of a traumatic experience. So that's kind of hers early on at like right. four years old. Yeah. It's sad that they have to go through such a traumatic event in order to bring out something so powerful in them. And I wonder if it's not intentional symbolism. If you think about all the things we go through in life, suffering is supposed to bring out the best in us, or it can if we use that suffering in the right way. Um, But if we don't, then it can also bring out the worst in us. And that's, we can also see that in the book series, how it brings out great evil and people right. like the Steel Inquisitors. It's We've been talking about this like hashtag real grass thing. And uh, the Velveteen Rabbit has the, the entire point of the story is that this stuffed rabbit has to go through all of this suffering in order to become a real rabbit. And uh, so... The snapping makes me think like you have to snap to become a real, real person. It's interesting. I feel like it's also brought up in the way that Kelsier talks about hope later. I don't know if you had that quote pulled Mm. up or whatever, but uh, do you know which one I'm talking about? Where he's basically like, well, I I saw you posted it on Instagram earlier, so I I don't want to like misquote it if you had it there. So here I'll pull up this one. You can tell me if this is the one you were thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking okay. of. So it says, our belief is often strongest when it should be weakest. That is the nature of hope. So I, I love that message in this. And I also feel like it's kind of reflective of the of the snap. Like they're they're going through this time in the in that part of the book where it's like they really should be giving up. And everybody wants to give up. And Kelsey's like, but that's the point of hope. That's the point of faith. Right. Isn't you know, if you're if you can't believe, I don't remember was it Kelsey that said that or was it I think it was I, Kelsey, or was it the um I can't think of the guy's name, the Terraceman guy. Sazed. Sazed. It doesn't matter. Uh, well, I think that brings us to talking about some of the other characters in the book. Because it's not just uh, Vin and Kelsey are in the book. 
there is Kelsier's whole crew. And so his crew is uh, made up of Hammond or Ham. He's basically the thug. He uh, protects them. He burns pewter. So he's particularly strong. And he his main task is training the army that Kelsier has hidden in the caves. Right. So he's pretty cool. I like him as a character. I like Doxon. I think he's kind of funny sometimes. He's kind of yeah. like this crotchety old man. Um, he, it's impossible not to like Doxon. Yeah, he's right. He just, yeah, he is that crotchety old guy that you're just like, yeah, he's a grump, but I love him. Um, <laughs> it's cool that while most of the people in Kelsier's crew have alimantic powers, Doxon does not. Right. Uh, he's responsible for organizing the crew and taking care uh, and contacting other crews. So despite him not having alamancy, he is still essential to the rebellion against the ruler, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Uh, then there's also clubs who uh, is a carpenter and a smoker. Uh, remember a smoker is just a misting who can burn copper and I thought hide. you were going to say tobacco. <laughs> right. Just a misting that burns tobacco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know tobacco was <laughs> an alloy. How about that? <laughs> uh, he basically protects them. So they all hide out in his secret base, essentially. And he keeps them hidden. Uh, then there's Breeze. Breeze, I feel like, is the com- comedic relief. He's hilarious. I love Breeze. Yeah. He's he's kind of like, he seems like a flat character that becomes a more well-rounded character in the later books. But He's he's hilarious. Yeah. I I didn't connect with him. I'm sorry. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> he's just a scoundrel, but you kind of like I he feel is. like by the second book you kind of like, yeah, he's a scoundrel, but I kind of like him. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't dislike him, but it <clears throat> Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I just whenever we got to his parts, I was like, "Oh, it's Breeze again." <laughs> <laughs> Well, so he's a soother, so he can play on people's emotions. So I can kind of see why not everybody might like him. Right. Yeah. Be a manipulator. Because well, he's a manipulative, right. you know, like. He's an asshole. Yeah. I think that asshole. his, That's the truth his it, power so. made him seem feminine to me. Oh. And as, as he a does feminine. does come across feminine. Yeah. I, I just didn't like him very mm. i just said i didn't dislike him and now i'm just saying i dislike <laughs> i guess i dislike him i guess wow. for like again i'm not gonna give like spoilers for later books but i feel like you kind of understand him mm-hmm. a lot more later on he becomes in my in my mind a little bit more likable a little bit more understandable but yeah i think like, so. even as a scoundrel the comic relief is is pretty great <laughs> that's mostly what i like him for because yeah. in such a dark book series you need someone to just crack be a, a stupid joke yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for Just sure. To kind of lighten the mood. Uh, then we get to Spook, who is Club's nephew. I love Spook. He's so precious. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a kid, man. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not it, a fan. He does kind of have a thing for Vin, and I feel kind of bad for him for Aww. that. Yeah. Oh, I, know. I like how he grows through the series. He's understandable as a you know 15 year old with a crush. So, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I he's could a, I could go without him. <laughs> he's a tin eye, right? He's a tin eye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that means he can burn tin to enhance his senses. So he's pretty good for a lookout. Uh, but he speaks a type of street slang that others find difficult to understand. Uh, so you feel kind of bad for him. I felt bad for him. 
Um, then we have Yaden. Yaden. I don't know how they pronounced his name in the audiobook. So I'm sorry. I just noticed this comment from Jax over here. I wonder if these books caused acrophagia in people. And I was looking this up. Is this where people eat metals? Oh, yeah. Is that like when... Okay, acuphagia, this- a strange disorder that causes sufferers to eat sharp metallic objects. So that would be really awful if people are like, I wonder if I'm misborn. <laughs> and they're just like eating pins and needles. But, they- but you know people did it, though. Uh, Everybody but- who's watched Star Wars at one point is like stuck their hand up and be like, do I have the force? You know, so... <laughs> I would never. <laughs> You've done it. it. Everybody's done it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, can I force choke you through the screen? Uh, <laughs> you can force disappear him through the screen. Yes, oh. I can. Oh, uh, so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so as we were saying, <laughs> but you don't eat the metal. You you dissolve it in in liquid and right. I feel so loved. <laughs> <laughs> Poor PJ. Not yeah. for PJ. We don't need to feel bad for PJ. <laughs> You're right. He's a lowercase, a lowercase R ruler. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord Ruler of Hot County. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no. Yeah. This is. Uh, from us, please don't eat metals. I promise you're not yeah, a misborn. You're I promise not. You're not a misting. You're not. Do not eat the metals. It is, interesting. <laughs> it is interesting to me how many stories tap into this this feeling that people seem to relate to so heavily that maybe I secretly have a power that I don't mm. know about, that I'm not tapping into, that I'm not realizing my full potential, that there's something massive about the world that I've never seen, that I've just been <clears> going along being normal when I was supposed to be amazing. Right. <laughs> it's such right. a common storyline. Yeah. People want to believe that there's more to them than there really is. And there is, but they look for it in the wrong places. To unravel that potential, they need to look to God and find their spiritual gifts. That was literally what I was thinking. I was like, I think people like underestimate the spiritual gifts. Like as a Christian, I see it it as that is like, you know, we're always looking for the, am I Harry Potter? Can I, you know, cast a wand and do something amazing or fantastical or use the force or whatever instead of like, realizing your true potential in a lot of ways like these these ideas like fantasies and uh you know fiction is a lot of fun i feel like it also you know a lot of great stuff to learn but people can take it in the wrong direction and not realize that they actually do have potential to do great things it's just not going to look like it does in the books always yeah we want the gifts to be in the physical world right and the gifts are in the spiritual world because the spiritual world is the more real world right and that's hard for people to understand hashtag Hashtag real grass yeah (laughs) Uh, and speaking of the spiritual world, uh, another character that is a part of Kelsier's crew is Sazed, who is my personal favorite character. I don't know. Do you guys like Sazed? I, yeah, I like Sazed. Yeah. I found, hmm, let's see, parts of his arc. His arc is so interesting. It's very interesting. There are there are parts of his arc where he gets annoying. And he he's, right. he's he gets like annoying that. in the Well of Ascension. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. In the Well of Ascension, yeah. he's more annoying. So I want to like him again. Better. I want to like him again. Yeah, he, but you said he, in the spiritual world, like this is a guy who like literally studies all religions. And it's it, the mm-hmm. religious aspect of this. Is, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Abby. But I was just saying like the religious aspect of this is super <laughs> what else is new? fascinating. What were you going to say? Sazed is like that person who's always in his head. And sometimes he's yeah. just full of like wisdom. And sometimes he's like, but what? 
why is the world the way that it is? He's also, hum- <laughs> he's also humble to a fault where his yeah. humbleness comes off as annoying. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes him more like a real person. Right. To me, because someone who has such wisdom could be like this Gandhi-esque figure who is all-knowing, supposedly perfect in every way. And he's not. He's a human being with flaws, with faults. And I don't know. I think that's why I find him so likable. And he conveys so much of that important spiritual aspect in the book series. So one of my favorite quotes from him is when he's talking to Vin. And she asks him, belief? And Sazed says, yes. Tell me, mistress, what is it that you believe? And she frowns and says, what kind of question is that? And he says, it's the most important kind, I think. And it is. What you believe is the most important kind of question that I think we all have to ask ourselves. And that's a question posed throughout this book series. Not only what do they believe religiously, but what do they believe about the Lord Ruler? What do they believe about hope? What is the meaning of the rebellion? All of that. And I think that is one of the most important threads. Yeah, even what do they believe about government and how people should, you know all these things that come up later in the series. I think that is interesting because Sazed's character really represents a, a people who have lost all faith for a long time. And like this quest to find faith again yeah. is kind of his whole thing. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how it plays out. Cause I could see it going in a few different directions. Uh, some, which would be, I think better than others, but it's, it's at least a very interesting question that's being posed throughout the books. Yeah, because the Lord Ruler has eradicated all other religions except for the one that worships him. Right. And the terrorist people are the only people who have taken the time to try to keep and collect all these religions, but they have lost their own. That That's right. the only one they haven't been able to make any record of is their own. They have no idea where it went. Right. Which I feel a lot of like, I know everyone's religion but mine. Especially with y'all's show Conspiracy Pill. Do y'all want to pitch that? (laughs) Oh, you know. (laughs) It's a show. Conspiracies. You know, it's so hard these days with all the conspiracies coming through, coming true. We'll cover something and then the next day it's like, oh yeah, that's old news. It really (laughs) is that way sometimes. But like when it comes to religion, this is the interesting thing about Conspiracy Pill to me is like, we've gotten this comment from a lot of people and I feel like it's been true in my own life as well Is like, I think the way that we're coming at conspiracies is, is different from from what I've seen. And that's the whole purpose that me and Abby had talked about wanting to do, wanting to cover these things is it's easy to go into these uh, kind of rabbit holes and get lost. And, you know, there's so much out there. There's so many different beliefs. There's so many different things to think. There's so many things that we like that as you study them, you realize that there there's truth to so many things that you didn't think there was that have been hidden from you. Kind of like, kind of like the Satan's talking about, but you have to have a guiding light in all of this. So like, I think that's where we come at it from is trying to have that foundation. And I think that's what's interesting about Satan's character throughout this too, is like he doesn't know what his foundation is. So he's trying to like guide people down all these different possible truths, all these different paths, but he himself doesn't know deep down what he believes in. Uh, so I find that really interesting because he reminds me in a lot of ways of a lot of the people who do what we do where I've seen so many people that get lost in these rabbit holes and they're searching for truth in all these ways. And they're like, but I don't even know what I believe. And then they end up just not really believing in anything. So I'm interested to see where Sazed's character goes in the third book. That is uh, something that just came to my mind. Is I, I just finished the second one yesterday and there's a lot of struggle of his faith in that book as well. So 
it, it's such a good series, guys. I can't wait for you to finish the third book. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had time it. to finish it before I came on today. But yeah, I'm, I'm really digging it. So I think I can say this about the whole series without spoiling anything. But I think the major theme of the series is that if you figure out what to believe in, what the true thing of religion is, you can figure out the problem of the world and the universe and, and fix the world. There is no division in the story between the political machinations and the fantasy world and the problems they're trying to solve and the religion. It's just a matter of them figuring out how these things fit right. together. Right. But isn't like, like, isn't that again, like going back to conspiracy build, that is like a lot of what we do. Exactly. Though. I mean, right. We're trying to, we're trying to understand the politics, the conspiracy, you know, the fantasy, whatever the, the cryptids, all of that and religion because they're all so interconnected. This has been my belief for a long time where I see a lot of people try to divorce politics and conspiracy, which is impossible, and trying to divorce religion and conspiracy, which is impossible. Mm -hmm. And I really think that all three of them, you have to understand to really see the problems of the world and be able to, to fix them. So that's actually interesting that this book is kind of making that yeah. same case. Yeah. I didn't realize it was such a perfect episode for us to come on and talk about. It really is. Yeah, that's I'm nice. I'm so glad y'all are here to talk about it. I'm just mad PJ hasn't read the third book and then we can't just talk about it. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> PJ's going to have to get off so we can talk about yeah. it later. <laughs> All right. Let's just talk about the third. <laughs> this is now a Hero of Ages stream. We just changed <laughs> it now. <laughs> um, but speaking of politics, so Vin's charge for the crew is to basically infiltrate the nobility. So mm. they disguise her as Valette Renu, uh, the niece twice removed of Lord Renu. He's basically this nobleman that's helping out the rebellion. Um, and so she's able to infiltrate all of these balls that the nobility starts throwing. And she meets the heir to the most powerful uh, nobility throne, Ellen Venture. What is y'all's take on Ellen? I liked him right away. Because <laughs> he reads. I yeah, I don't will, know. He is the, the absolutely who I thought my type was of like the kind of guy I would have absolutely fallen for in college. And then you, and then you married Hammond. And, and yeah. And then you exactly married Hammond. She totally did though. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I definitely wanted a nerd and I got a jock and I don't regret it. <laughs> but I love Ellen, but I, I kept thinking maybe he was going to turn out bad, Yeah, but I loved him and I didn't want it to happen. So it was, a, I enjoyed that whole sequence of events. I thought it was interesting because it reminded me again of Red Rising in a way where you started to see that thread there of like, hey, we can't just have, commit a genocide on the people who have oppressed us. There's good mm. people in the other class as well. And the only way the world is can work is if we actually find a way to work together against our oppressors and not just make this class warfare. So yeah. I thought that that was, I feel like Red Rising did it better because yeah, I feel like it I was, agree. you know, but because um, it was a little bit more rushed in that way, but it was still the same uh, basic point. And I thought it was, I thought it was done pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mistborn didn't have the more intricate class system, right. but you could already see that clash there. Kelsier spends the whole time just disparaging nobles. He considers killing nobles as the fun part of the job. So he has a lot of <laughs> morally gray areas. It reminds me of the 1950s propaganda, you know, better dead than red or uh, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> the only good commies a dead commie kind of stuff. But that's so yeah. true, though. Well, it's true. That's I'm not saying bad. it's not true, but yeah. So, 
the the class stuff comes back in the third book and i think yeah. it's more thoroughly dealt with okay because that's the french revolution problem where you defeat your oppressors yeah. and then you become the oppressors and then they defeat you and then you defeat them and then they defeat you and it's just this never-ending cycle of not realizing that you're the bad guy because you're human right right we're all the bad guy because we're all human we're all the bad guy yeah what did you guys think of the relationship that developed between Ellen and Vin? Did you feel like it was natural? Did you feel like it was forced? I thought it was pretty natural. I, I you know, it seemed, <clears throat> honestly, I generally have a harder time. Maybe that's just me being a guy, but I generally have a harder time with like the, the love interest perspective from a female's point of view. And usually I think the guy's like, you know, unrealistic and kind of whatever. And in this case, I know a man <laughs> wrote the book. So, you know, the guy came off as more of a natural guy. Um, I think so. I thought it was, you know, it was a pretty interesting relationship. I feel like all that stuff was, I don't know. Like it's, I'm not trying to compare it to red rising, but I feel like it's hard because not to. it's hard not to, cause this part is so similar. I felt like their relationship and the whole like realization that the nobility and the sky and the have to work together was rushed in comparison to the, like that was the one pa- part of the pacing of the book that was off to me. Um, but outside of it being a little bit rushed, I thought that it was fairly natural. I really like the way that their relationship is handled in the first book. And it's not that I dislike it in the second two, because I think it's still interesting. But all the tension goes out of it, yeah. which I find to be the best part. And and it becomes this interesting dynamic where she's so much more powerful than him. Um, right. But I think it's still handled really well. So it's interesting. But it's not my like favorite love story in all of literature or anything like that. No, no, it's 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 good, but yeah, it's not it's not the most interesting love. Story. <laughs> we're in the spoilers, right? Yeah, we're in the spoilers <laughs> I was part. literally sorry. about to say that. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but we warned you. <laughs> I need to have like a little flag or something on my screen that says I'll make this one. is the spoiler I'll make section. One. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do that yes. for the next time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I w- I w- wanted to get y'all's opinion on the power dynamic there because. She is like physically power, more powerful than him because she is a mistborn. Mm-hmm. And that creates this weird situation for me. Because on the one hand, I love a good, cute little romance. And on the other hand, I prefer romance where everyone is traditional. This is not right. super traditional. Um, it didn't feel like it was trying to pull a feminist take, which I know lots of writers feel compelled into these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it didn't feel like a trap. Which uh, it, books do these I, I gotta days. say that I gotta say this to that point. I don't feel like this was a feminist uh, writing of, of a female yeah. male relationship. I do think that they handle this exact question of she's like, you know, I feel bad for Ellen because he should be able to protect me, and and that's got to mm-hmm. be hard for him as a man. And also, Vin, like, she grew up on the streets. She grew up having to be hard. But mm-hmm. like you see these things come through. She's like, but I also am a girl and I yes. like being a girl and I like wearing the dresses. Yeah. So like I found that actually interesting that it wasn't just disparaging of like, oh, well, I'm actually a better female because I'm essentially a man. <laughs> right. like, I didn't do that. Yeah. I actually liked I liked how they handled Vin's character. So yeah. much of action novels, fantasy novels, all of this is just all the women are, are men in women's bodies. Right. Which right. I think that we've been dealing with a trans issue for so much longer than we think. Oh, because it's been early 90s, stories. even. Yeah. 80s, even. Yeah. Right. Like, if you go back far enough, if you watch Alien, Alien is uh, a female protagonist who's strong, who's still a female. Mm-hmm. And then right. after that, you just like, especially That's in the it. early 90s, it was like, 
yeah, let's just make the female a man. And she's actually better at being a man than the men. And that's what makes her a good woman. And we've been dealing with it for 30 plus years. So the fact that this wasn't that was actually refreshing to me. Even though there was the power dynamic of her having the... Yeah, right. You know, it wasn't like... I feel like it dealt with it in a more honest way. Yeah, and I think that it's... like she was belittling him or anything. Right. She goes out of her way to not. And I think it's interesting how it talks about it because he has other power. Like there are things that he does bring to the table. He's, it's not like this completely unbalanced relationship. You just have to look a little harder to find his qualities. Right. Yeah. Cause hers are so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> hers are so obvious. I really like this quote, uh, between them, uh, where she basically tells him to stop reading so much, <laughs> especially in the presence of ladies. I, I thought that was a very sweet, this happens, I think, at the very end of the book. Um, yeah. And it's a nice little picture of their relationship. Uh, she is trying to wear more of the feminine uh, sort of aspect because, like you said, she grew up as a street urchin. She never really was able to do that because she was trying to disguise herself. She didn't want to end up being a ska prostitute or anything like that. So even though her brother was abusing her, he was still kind of protecting her from that aspect. And the fact that she is able to kind of more freely do that with Ellen is, it's very nice character growth. I really like that. She goes out of her way to let him be the man in the Mm -hmm. relationship without making herself smaller. And that he never demands that from her, but she just wants that because she wants to be feminine. Right. Because she's a woman. Because she's a woman. Right. Yeah, I like how the book understands that, too. Um, Women. Oh, my gosh. Women want to be women. What? (laughs) What What is a woman? I love this about Brandon Sanderson that he has just from by all accounts, uh, just a lovely relationship with his wife. And you can you can Mm -hmm. see that in the way that he writes men and women. So he writes a lot of female protagonists because in uh, Skyward, that's another female protagonist. Um, all right, so, so can I ask you both ahead. as uh, as as females? <laughs> <laughs> what did, did did Brandon Sanderson do a good job of writing a female protagonist as a man? Yes, yes. Okay, I thought so, and like you know, obviously it'd be harder for me to judge that, but I I thought he did a good job. No, he does especially a really in, good job, especially in the second book where like the joke kind of becomes, dude, she's a woman. They're all like this. they're all confusing, and it's like, yeah, okay. If anything, I'm less satisfied with his men. Right? Yeah, some of them. Some of them. Some of them. I would Not say all Breeze, of them. For my my for my my issue is that both Breeze and Ellen are a little bit too uh, demasculated in a yeah. lot of ways. Whereas, like Ham, I think is actually the the most honest representation of a man in the book where he's not stupid. Like, he never makes Ham stupid. Ham wants to be a right. philosopher. He wants to think he wants, but he, he's a hardworking blue collar worker. Yeah. So like right. Ham, Hammond is the one that I relate to the most. And I like Kelsier a lot too. Yeah. I like Kelsier a lot. Yeah. And I like what Ellen grows into. And I really love Sazed. Ellen does grow up. That's the he thing. Does. Ellen becomes a man through. Yeah. He's still a boy in a lot of ways through the first two He's books. a teenager. I mean, yeah. he loves to read. He's right. a teenager who is pretty much defined by the fact that he doesn't like his dad and right. anything his dad stands for. And he's trying to find his way via philosophy. Which is yeah. cool. Yeah. It is cool. Um, so kind of moving back into the action, uh, there is the point at which Kelsier takes Vin to Kritikshaw, <coughs> which is basically the giant fortress that the Lord Ruler hides in. 
And so their plan is to steal some ATM. So I think at this point we could probably tell them what ATM is. <clears throat> yeah. So ATM, uh, you kind of pointed this out earlier, but every metal is paired with another metal that has right. kind of an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, so at one point he, she finds out that gold is one of these things that lets you see into the past, but it's not really fully delved into and explained. And you don't tell me cause I think it's going to come up in the third book. Um, but ATM is the opposite of gold and ATM lets you see into the future. So it basically is your, your trump card in a fight as a Mistborn is right. you can see a, a, a punch that's going to come at you or an arrow that's going to come at you beforehand and you're able to kind of fight back against it. And the, mm-hmm. the downside of this, the kind of equalizer, is if another Mistborn is burning ATM, it kind of cancels each other out. Like Because right. you could both see what each other's going to do. You see the multiple possibilities. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Next, but it looks like the end scene of Next where he's like, he can always see two minutes in the future, so he's kind of like planning all these different routes. Mm. It's, it's kind of like that. So and it's like this crazy fog surrounds him of all the possibilities. All the possibilities, yeah. like these, uh, yeah, like the projections, like kind of semi-transparent projections of the possible futures. It's a very powerful metals, which makes sense that it's very rare and very expensive, and that the Lord Ruler is hoarding all of it. Uh, so they go to try and steal some, but they end up stealing this book, this strange logbook. And it's in a different language. So Sazed, being the historian, religious scholar, starts translating it. And they think it's a book written by the Hero of Ages or the Lord Ruler uh, about the prophecy and going to the Well of Ascension to stop the deepness. Uh, And as they read throughout this book, they find out some very interesting things. Yeah. Did you guys figure out it wasn't did you guys figure out it wasn't the Lord Ruler early on, or? No, I. So there was a person who was assumed to be the person writing the logbook, right. um, and that's who it had always the, the prophecy had said this person was going to come and defeat the deepness, and then the person comes and he travels to the well, and um, it's presumed that he's the one writing this logbook, and then he got to the well and. But something doesn't seem to add up in it, but I didn't right. figure out I don't, that it was a different person. I don't think I figured it out super early, but I think like maybe just moments before the kind of reveal, I was like, I mean, he it, the logbook ends and there's this guy who kind of wants to stab him in the back. Is it is it right. possible he's not this guy? So like I didn't figure out as, as early as I wanted to, but I also will say this book doesn't project its answers out at you as obviously as a lot of others, which I appreciate. Yeah. I always hate right. it when they're like, hey, by the way, did you notice this thing that we're totally, it's the spoiler <laughs> later? And it's like, yeah, I'm not a kid. You don't have to like walk me through it. So right. this doesn't do that. So like the surprise was still uh, very interesting when it happened that it's like, yeah, oh, this is not the Lord Ruler writing this book. I love that there's a bunch of twists throughout this story. And I, I, I love them because when they happen, it's kind of a surprise, but it's like, oh, duh. <laughs> right. Every time, everything falls right. very naturally. I've, I've heard it said that the best way to do a twist is that when you get to it, you want to feel like you should have gotten it, but you really shouldn't have. You know what I mean? Right. Where it's like they didn't actually give you enough information to figure it out, like super obviously, but you want to mm-hmm. feel like, oh man, I, I if I would have just paid a little bit more attention, I would have got it. Yeah. Like that's how you write a good twist into a book. Yeah. And there's like the two bad ways, which is give them no information and they're like well that was stupid and then the other one right. is like project it like super obviously like pretty much every mainstream movie does and has for the last you know however many decades yeah that's it generally has- my oh go ahead 
it has to be true. It, it can't yeah. just break the rules of the book. Like there's a book called Behind Her Eyes where the twist is like insane, but it breaks the rules of the entire story to manage there's it. There's a movie I watched like that where it was I don't remember what it was called the getaway or something like that. Uh, no, that's not it. It doesn't matter, but the whole point was that the it was an unreliable narrator, but it's done visually, so it doesn't work. Oh. You're like, oh, I saw that thing. It's like you didn't though. And it was such a crap ending. <laughs> it's so cheap. Unreliable narrators are. It, it's hard to do it well. Mm, yeah. There's one book I can think of that did it well where I felt not cheated. It, through the log books, we do have a little bit of this concept of the unreliable narrator throughout this, this right. series where you're, you're led to believe a certain thing because of the log book, because of how it's presented. It seems like gospel a little bit. And and uh, then you're like, oh wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> it's not. I guess it's not the same type of unreliable narrator that I'm thinking of, where it's yeah, like they're lying to you. Different. Like it's still truth. You just you're making assumptions. So right. the book is working off of your assumptions and the characters' assumptions about the book. And it's right. not like everything you read in it was just a lie. So well, exactly, yeah. yeah. Or the person writing was wrong. Was mm. themselves coming to the wrong conclusions? Right. Yeah. I think that's a fair point. And one of the reasons I love this book series is so much, like you were mentioning earlier, PJ, is because it doesn't do that, hey, look over here, this is how it ends sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like so many stories do. This book was originally marketed as an adult fantasy book and then was later marketed YA. And so many YA books suffer from this problem. They... uh, belittle the reader's intelligence i feel right. like and sanderson doesn't do that even in his true ya books he doesn't do that uh, and this one I really definitely straddles a line between ya and just adult fiction like it didn't come off as really young adulty in most ways right. i don't think mm-hmm. i feel like it's too violent to be young adulty <laughs> but i felt that way about red, Rising red rising's too. the same way where it's like they had to market it to the young adult audience because that's how the market works but it was not right. really like especially after you no. get past the first book, it's really not a young adult novel. It's really not. So now when I go when I go to the store, Red Rising and Miss Born are both in the adult section. Is that's that more oh, accurate though? That is more accurate. Is it, I think it that is. wasn't always the case? No. No, actually there was an interview. Sorry, not to keep bringing up Red Rising. There's an interview <laughs> with the author, uh, Pierce Brown. He said specifically he had to change his book to be young adult in order to get it ever sold in the first place. So that's why you get some of those um, Hunger Games-esque traps in there. And the the series moves away from it quickly because that was never the intention. It was just like, I have to be able to sell this book because I've got, you know, a story to tell. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Was this the case with Sanderson and Mistborn? Because this wasn't his first book. It wasn't. Elantris was his first book series. Um, but It's just one book, right? It, it was Elantris just one book? I, can't I, I read Elantris. I think he planned to write another one and then just Maybe never that's what did. It is. <laughs> just oh, never okay. did it. To be fair, he's writing the Stormlight archives right now, which are like yeah. absolutely massive. So, so- <laughs> This is actually my first uh, Brandon Sanderson book. So, it, For most people it is. I mm. knew that I was going to read the whole world and Elantris predates this. But it's also, I think his first published book i want to say so it definitely you mean outside of the wheel of time which he like finished for right yeah right he did the wheel of time first and i think he did elantris concurrently with wheel of time but it feels very different than missed the miss wheel of time wasn't his he finished it for the 
I can't remember the guy. That's, yeah. 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 All right. So this is kind of when um, the perspectives start to branch. So on the one hand, Vin is infiltrating the nobility. She's trying to learn about them, what's going on. Kind of like a, would you compare it to House of Cards or some sort of political game she's playing? And then Kelsier is over here trying to raise up an army to get ready to fight the Lord Ruler. And lots of things happen along the way. I don't know if we have time to go into all of the little details. But what I do want to talk about is when the Lord Ruler starts uh, indiscriminately killing Ska to try and put down the rebellion. Mm -hmm. And during one of these indiscriminate killings, Spook is captured. And everybody's like, oh, no, we got to go save him. So they go out into this big courtyard. Kelsier starts beating up on these Steel Inquisitors. Very cool fight scene. And then the Lord Ruler walks out. And everybody's just like, oh, my God. I I didn't see this part coming, to be honest. I did not either. I did. You did? This is is the one twist I did absolutely see coming. (laughs) Did you? Yeah, I mean, like... I feel like I should have, but it was hard. I mean, obviously we're in the spoiler section, but it was hard for me to imagine that they were going to kill the main character in the first book. And I was just like, oh, wow. He's like really freaking dead. (laughs) Really freaking. He's like really dead. Yeah, I was. I thought there would be some kind of like, you know, savior moment or something like that or some like fake out. But yeah, it was it was because there were other savior moments. I mean, Sazed came in and rescued Ben at one point using his very chemical powers. Um but no one came to save Kelsier from the Lord Ruler. I think I just felt like it was written into him, like that he knew so it, thoroughly that he was going to die that I just... Well, I he like, did oh. actually know so thoroughly I, I, that he was going to die. I should have seen it coming because looking back, like here's what's interesting about this book is they take Kelsier as a main character, but he's not really the main character. Vin is. No. Yeah. So when you're reading like... Uh, Aragon or Lord of the Rings or anything like that, you're like, okay, this person's the main character. This is the older, uh, what am I trying? Like the the guide, and they're yeah. always gonna die. Yoda's gonna die. Right. Brahm's gonna die. Brahm's gonna like, die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how dare you? I Way guess. too soon, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. It's been you know I mean? like, fifteen years. It's too soon. <laughs> but that person always dies. So like in this, it was like I should have seen it coming, except for the fact that it was kind of a duel. Yeah. main character story so it was really different where i'm looking back at it now going it, it really does make sense it was set up that way and i would have seen it coming had i thought of kelsier as more of the yoda figure than the co-main character right which is actually great because i love how it breaks that um rule a little bit and then still kind of like it, it breaks the rules but in an interesting way without like totally shattering like yeah. that kind of hero's journey that you you get from these types of books I mean, the way Kelsier behaved throughout the whole series is borderline suicidal. He walks into these borderline. really... <laughs> it's very He's suicidal. suicidal. It's yeah. suicidal. <laughs> he walks into these very dangerous situations and fights his way out of it, miraculously surviving when he really shouldn't have. Right. Um, but it was only a matter of time. Yeah. There's a there's a level of abandon that he lives in that I think gives him a lot of power, but ultimately puts him in a position where he's not go- he's going to burn out quickly. Yeah. Um. What did you guys think of the whole like Jesus aspect of Kelsier? 
Because that is like what it was, right? I mean, it was essentially like... He didn't actually come back to life, just to clarify for the audience. (laughs) Right, Uh, but that was like what was even weirder to me. Yeah. I think the way that it plays out into the third book right. I, I don't even want to begin to comment on the jesus yeah okay we won't talk about it but later. like in the first book it comes across it it could come across a few ways but in one way it comes across as like kind of a did you know like it, it almost feels like it's insinuating that jesus's disciples like faked his resurrection is like kind well, of how I, was, I was looking at it you know i'm sorry i keep seeing this this comment from from obani is this how they keep describing kelsier red droopy no. It's no. it's okay. the way that um, restream is pulling in emojis. Oh, okay. So yeah. What's going on with this? Okay, got it. Yeah, <laughs> restream doesn't like emojis. I guess not. Yeah, <coughs> and uh, Obani's using a lot of funny emojis over on YouTube. So, okay. <laughs> uh, what was I? What was I saying before? PJ interrupted me. Oh, what else? Was oh, they talk. <laughs> So throughout, Sazed talks a lot about these religions that he is mm-hmm. storing. He he, he uh, is this keeper of of knowledge and he keeps religions. And so he's constantly bringing up, oh, have you heard about this religion? He's constantly preaching religions to people. He doesn't believe any of them and he believes all yeah, of right. them. But he, he frequently preaches this need for a martyr. And right. so I think that that kind of builds up into Kelsier's death and then like fake resurrection. <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of set up as like, we need this in order to move forward. And <laughs> I, I think that goes to Kelsier's final words that he says to the Lord ruler. Mm-hmm. He says, but you can't kill me, Lord Tyrant. I represent that one thing you've never been able to kill, no matter how hard you try. I am hope. Mm-hmm. And he's right to a certain extent. He is representing the hope of the ska to come out of this oppression. And that hope, again, is that common thread throughout all these books, that resiliency of the human spirit to desire freedom. And the ska kind of needed a push. In some respects, they were kind of complacent in their slavery. There would be breakouts here and there. But they had in away come to accept the lord ruler as their god and he needed to show them that there could be better that there could be more so by allowing this chondra osur to basically eat his bones and turn into him the chondra are really weird and creepy right um they created that mythology of him being a martyr or this powerful being that the lord ruler couldn't kill and that was very powerful for the Scott and gave them the motivation to really finalize the rebellion, which they do ultimately end up doing. Yeah, it was very necessary. Like when it happened, I was like, yeah, that makes so much sense. The whole book, they're talking about how complacent the Scott are. That they're like, look, it's better to just, you know, be a slave than to die. And he's like, well, actually, and he kind of like, it makes sense, especially like some of his first lines, I don't remember, but he's talking to that old man in the tent at the beginning of the book. And he's mm-hmm. like, you might die, but you know what? You're going to set up people in the future. Like freedom takes, right. you know, it takes that sacrifice from someone. Uh, why not? Why not me? Why not you? <laughs> and that's kind of the thing that he lives up to. He's like, you know, if some if somebody's got to die for freedom, then it might as well be me. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I really liked Kelsier overall as a character. Uh, his arc was really interesting. And 
he set Ben up really well, I think, because you're right. He is the Obi-Wan Kenobi figure, the Braum character. And he gave her that motivation to go in and confront the Lord Ruler directly. Now, should she have done it uh, in such a direct manner? I don't know about that because she gets captured right away. Uh, I like how often she fails and then like, <laughs> it's, and it's, then, it's, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And then says it has to come and save her. Yeah. It's kind of his role, I think. It is kind yeah. of his role. This might be a good part to mention uh, Pharaoh Kemi because this becomes important here For in a minute. the end of the book, yeah. Yeah. So who wants to talk about Pharaoh Kemi? I, I will. Okay. okay. So <laughs> we've been talking about how says it stores knowledge and he he stores it in metal so so we are introduced to this alternate magic system that also has to do with metal so we kind of have a hint of three different related magic systems in this world Um, and so we have alamancy where you take the metals and you burn them and then we see the steel inquisitors and we see that they have a lot of power and that they have these spikes through their eyes but we don't really understand how the spikes relate to their power but we know that there's some sort of magic system related to metal there. And then Furikemi, we we see that Seize can store his knowledge in his bracers, in his his metal <gasps> bracers. But then we find out, oh, <laughs> he can store other things too. He can store all the powers that the Alamancers can use in the same metals. So in tin, he can store the ability to um, see better or you know all all of the power he can he can store in the related metal but he has to give it up for a period of time in order to store it so in order to store up eyesight he has to be blind for a while and i i love the sacrificial nature of that aspect of the magic system and it fits so well with Sazed's character and so he spends really so much of the time very very weak and sick and blind and <laughs> just the most humbled he can be so that he can have these bursts of incredible power to help his friends. So I, I love that. I do too. It's like one moment you have this kind of like Bruce Banner guy who's yeah, very nerdy yeah, talking point. about <laughs> all his religions. And then in the next <laughs> he's in a cell and he gets hulks out and breaks Ben out. It's super cool. Uh, I love Sazed. He's he's not a deus ex machina, but he no. is somebody who, because he has to spend so long storing up his power, he only uses it in really dire situations. Right. So he, it's it's fun. It yeah. is fun. I like him a lot, and I like his arc through that. So yeah. he's able to break her out. She uh, grabs some more medals, charges into the Lord Ruler's basically throne room area and they start facing off um and the lord ruler is so powerful that he's not only a mistborn but he's also a pharaochemist yeah that was a a great twist too because like being able to finally understand his powers and how they work was was pretty interesting Mm -hmm. yeah and because of that i think that's what was keeping him young for so long or physically young able to live forever essentially right yeah because i'm still trying to fully understand was he like burning metals in his weakened state and like storing it up and then like reviving himself essentially like kind of like this uh yeah instead of instead of like using his own eyesight to store 
and like the tin mines, he would burn tin and then use that enhanced ability to store in the tin mm-hmm. mines. Right, yeah, yeah. So he was okay. basically using Alamancy <laughs> to power his Ferukemi. Yeah. Which yeah. was very creative and uh kind of had a Dorian broken. Gray thing going on. Yeah. 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 I like that. That's a good yeah. point. Um, and that gave him the ability to essentially strongly push everything across the room, including this little earring in Ben's ear, which we really didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, but it's an earring her mother gave her. And I feel like it was connected to her ability to hear Rain's voice. Uh, but for whatever reason, as soon as it was out of her ear, she had this sudden surge of power from the mists. It's like, this felt kind of like a deus ex machina moment yeah. because yeah. we don't really know why she was able to take the power from the mist, but it gave her enough strength to pull all of the ferrochemical armbands off the Lord Ruler, which reverted his age back to a very ancient state. Yeah, we also start yeah. to get hints before that, too, that she has some greater ability to, like, break the rules. Right. And uh, she does this first by, like, piercing the copper clouds. The copper cloud is, like, the thing that hides mistborns and hides uh, alamancers and she like focuses hard enough and realizes oh i can actually break that i can actually influence people's emotions when they should be protected from it i can see them when they should i should be blind to them so we already start getting hints before that, that she has some greater ability and that the lord ruler himself also has a greater ability to like break the rules so it's it's not fully explained even by the end of the second book how she's able to break these rules but it is an interesting Thing that they set up where it doesn't it doesn't really <clears throat> it doesn't feel super cheap either right i feel like you know she yeah. is she is different she is set apart and that is what makes her the hero of the story but it's not like it's not overpowering still i feel i still feel like the magic system works and holds where it's like you know she has so much ability but it's not uh she doesn't just become like a god after this you right know? yeah yeah all the people do begin to treat her as such because she killed their god like what else are they going right. to do the cultural stuff there but I, I spent this whole series being like this earring is super important and never being <laughs> able to figure out why um, I was just waiting for her to like yank it out of her ear and like push it through a bad guy's eye and it never happens and I'm yeah, like yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, <sighs> you want her to do something with it and she yeah. never does <laughs> It, but it's so important to her, and so you can you can tell it's important for the story. But do you think, in a way, it's just representing like that b- bit of femininity that she holds on to? Because that is something that comes up through the books a lot. It's like she's been forced to be. We talked about this earlier, but she's been forced to have to live as you know one of the guys in the crew, and yet you still see these things come through. Where she's like, "You guys realize I am a girl, though, right? Like I want to be a girl, and I feel like that's her holding on to that." Mm-hmm. You know, it may be in a symbolic That's interesting. Way. I think it's also her weirdly holding on to her mom because even That's though her mom thinking. killed her sister, her mom's the one who gave her this earring and she right. it's like a mark of her past and she seems unwilling to I think and think this is this is what's special about her is that even though her past is so painful, she's unwilling to let go of anything that made her who she is. Right. And to kind of forget and be numb to it. She's not afraid to bear the scars of her past, which right. I really appreciate in her as a character. Uh, just as like a kind of final wrap up of the story recap, I want to bring up the final words of the Lord Ruler. You don't understand. You don't know what I do for mankind. I was your God, even if you couldn't see it. By killing me, you have doomed yourselves. 
Now is that hubris or something more? I love I love this line because you kind of got these hints that there's something unknown about what happened at the Well of Ascension, what happened with the deepness, and it's it really is I think a really interesting way to be like it's not over. You know, it, yeah. it definitely sets up the the rest of the trilogy in an interesting way. Yeah, it does because <clears throat> Mistborn could have been a standalone book, but I think that last line leaves something more there. Right. It's so interesting because the Lord Ruler is like this awful evil person the whole time. And then in the moment of him being killed, it's like Ender's Game. Like in the right. moment of, of you're like, oh, I actually kind of really like this character. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't really know why quite yet. Exactly. But like, you <laughs> You'll know learn something. more about him later, yeah. <laughs> you do. And I hope that is a big encouragement. I mean, if you're already at this point, now you've heard the whole book. So go read Well of Ascension and Hero of Ages. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good series. Yeah. I enjoyed it. So some questions or any last thoughts from you guys? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll bring it because I said it earlier. Right. <laughs> I yeah, want to bring this it. up. Anyway. So Abby said this is not her favorite. And I, I agree. It's not my favorite. I would say this. If you're really into it, um, <clears throat> if you like this story, my my opinion is I think that uh, the um, Grim Noir Chronicles is is like this, but I find it a little bit more interesting. There's a very Vin-like character. There's a relationship that's very similar to her relationship with Ellen. Um, there's a ma- magic system that's also super intricate and interesting. Um, it's a little bit shorter. It's a little bit less... Uh, it's a little bit more fun, I think. Um, but I would say, like, not that you have to pick one or the other, but if you end up liking the series, that would be another one I recommend that I think is... At least in my mind, I like it a little bit more than this. But if you've read the first book, you just got to continue it. it I think it, I think it's interesting. A lot of yeah. people said the second book is boring, and it it drags a little bit. It's setting up something something it good. Has I didn't. I didn't. Syndrome. I didn't have a. Tr- I didn't have as much trouble getting through it as I do with a lot of second books in a trilogy. It does have middle child syndrome, but it's not entirely uh, uninteresting or boring or. No, it's not. I yeah. think. One thing Sanderson does is that he he really has philosophical points he's trying to work out. And so he lets himself take his sweet time with the plot in order to fully tease out these thoughts. And I think that sometimes you just have to be in the mood for that when you're reading him right. to just recognize yeah. he's going to sit in this for as long as it takes him to get yep. through his thought process. He does. He does. It, yeah. it, it lingers, but it's also good if you're looking for something that's a little bit longer if you want to like get lost in a in a story yeah. and in a world for a while because yeah. he does build this world in a in a fascinating way and even though there's mm-hmm. a lot of politics and a lot of uh you know exposition it's it's interesting enough to keep you going i like it so out of 10 what are we rating it oh gosh i hate rating things oh, i never I rate books out of 10 oh what, what do you, you want good reads Okay, yeah. Out of five. five. Out of five. You're right. I'm sorry. I wanted to give us more flexibility, but if we're going to do the Goodreads version, out of five. I'll let Abby go first. I rated book one five out of five, and then book two and three, four and four, respectively. So I think overall, the series I gave a four. Okay. Yeah. um, I probably agree with that. I uh, like. Because I can think of other trilogies that I like a little bit better than this, I'd probably go to four and a half to four. Um, but that's not me dissing on it. I actually really Wait, like good. this book. Yeah. 
a four sure. is, a three is a good book for me. A three is a book I did not regret reading. I probably want to read it again. I I, <laughs> I have this thing. I like I hate rating stuff. I've told you guys this. I hate like ranking and rating. I'm the worst at it. But um, if I read a book that I think is good enough, I because I know what it's like to be a creator. I always on Audible give it a five out of five. If I think it was like. Yeah. All right, you know, this guy deserves it. So like even if even if it's a four out of five to me, like most of my audible ratings are five out of five. <laughs> because I'm like, yeah, I just I want to give the author, you know, a leg up. I think it's a good enough book for people to read. So like in that aspect, I <laughs> give it a five enough. out of five. <laughs> good <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> uh, I will say, like I said earlier, it's a good book if you're in a reading slump. It's a good book to draw you out of that reading slump. Um, so I'd give the book, the first book, uh probably a four point five out of five. The change my mind 4.36 out of 5. 4.36. Okay, yeah. this is like when my husband and I were dating, and we, he started off and he said I was an eight, and then he like slowly worked it up. Uh, like, you're like a 9.35. Now you're an 11. Look at you. Is I'm scared to 11. <laughs> I'd probably give the second book like a 3.5 because I just really didn't like it. <laughs> I like the ending, I like the ending. Um, I slugged and then the hard book. in the second book. <laughs> I, I slugged, yeah. <laughs> and then the last book, I'd give five out of five for that <laughs> ending. I Okay, so sometimes, uh, we can talk about this more when, when right. BJ finishes. <laughs> sometimes the book series ends and it is correct. And I can I can see how clearly it is. it was the right ending. Mm-hmm. And I'm mad <laughs> because and I didn't mad. want that. And like that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> this has never been truer. But with a series of unfortunate events where you end it, you're like, I hate <laughs> you so much. That was the absolute. And it had threat. to end that way. It had to. But it takes you a while to forgive. So I think by the time we we get through the third book, I will have time to process and be okay with it. But that's fair. That that is a totally fair assessment. <laughs> All right, so let's pose some questions to the audience while we still have a few minutes. If you were a misting and could choose one metal to control, what would it be? What do you guys think? Steel shot, maybe? Steel shot. Coin shot, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, look, you you can't really do the flying thing with only that, but you could you could launch yourself in arcs, you know, and like probably break a leg here and there. And I'd I'd try it. I'd break my legs doing that. You'd <laughs> Superman like jump. Yeah, I'd Superman <laughs> jump. I think I would riot emotions. Yeah. You do that you do that without powers. <laughs> she does your Twitter, Twitter every day. I've seen yeah. your Twitter account. Are you sure you're not an al- uh chemist or an al- alamancer? First I'm a fed. Now I'm an alamancer. I don't even know. What do you guys want from me? <laughs> we were telling you not to eat metals, ever. but Abby's low key over here just like chugging them. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jess? What would you be? I would probably be a soother because I teach high schoolers and I want them to calm down. <laughs> fair. Stop. That's fair. I love how we pick both sides of the same power. I do too. Each metal has a combo. I love that. I love how it's set up of. Yeah. I do too. You two pairing. make a good pair there and I'm just over here wanting to break my legs by trying to fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that checks out. <laughs> that sounds about right. <sighs> All right. Uh, which plot twist took you the most by surprise in this particular book. Let's try and <laughs> ignore the other books. Oh, I thought you were, I was going to say when Bruce Willis was dead at the end of Sixth Sense. But, um, <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, sorry. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Oh, uh, man. I think realizing that the person who wrote the logbook was not the person who wrote the logbook. Mm. Or that was not the Lord Ruler. Sorry. <clears throat> 
I liked that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with Kelsier dying. I mean, I should have seen it coming, but I I kind of expected it to be like, uh, he's not really dead, you know? And then it's like, no, right. he's like super dead. <laughs> so I kind of agree with that one. And I was super mad when it happened. I, w- I was like genuinely upset. I was like, he can't be serious about this. And then I kept reading. I was like, oh, he's serious about oh, this. I'll go, I'll go back. I bought this book thinking it had a male protagonist and then I got a female protagonist. Big plot oh. twist. Zero out of ten. No, the misogyny. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, so sorry. He this says that well, he's on a podcast with two women. That's <laughs> a joke. Uh, yeah. I think I would I was mad at at the Kelsey are dying because I saw it coming of like because because you know sometimes you like trick yourself into saying like if I just worry about something enough it won't happen like so I spent the book like you're gonna kill Kelsey aren't you you're gonna kill Kelsey aren't you <laughs> dang it <laughs> darn it <laughs> yep but you know who wouldn't betray us like that North Arrow Coffee oh of they course they never not. would betray us they yeah. would never betray us Yep. North Arrow coffee is so good. Yeah, so instead of drinking <laughs> metals, you guys, um, I hear, I, I can't I, mean, I can't confirm this, so don't sue me for false advertising, but I, I'm pretty sure he puts he- metals into his coffee. So if you if you want to see if you're an Alamancer, <laughs> just uh, just drink the coffee and, and push on things and see what happens. It, works for me. It, does give, it, it, it does give you an actual superpower besides the fake one that Abby made up. It's going to get us sued. Um, it <laughs> saves babies. 15% of every uh, sale goes to uh, pro-life causes. So you can use code Hawkound to get 10% off your order today at NorthArrowCoffee.co. I love it. You guys are so much better at ad reads than I am. I'm just like, here's some awesome coffee. No, what? no I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jess. Yep. You and me saved that one. Abby in the middle there is like, if you want to be an Alamancer, drink this heavy metal laden coffee. That's totally. Well, if we're going to fire shots in my direction, I have made a whole $8 in, in uh, um, what is it called? Commissions, Commissions from coffee sales. So like suck it, I guess. Yeah, don't definitely don't use code PJ10. Use code Hawkhound instead because that fair. gets you better coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last question of the day, which I think we probably already answered it. But what do you think of the religious undertones of the book? I want to finish it before I answer yeah. this question because – I, I, I think I, I don't remember if I said this before we were streaming or during, but I, I could see it going a few different ways with the um, there's definitely like a, a message of faith and hope and like a people who have lost their faith that I find interesting. And then there's also like an aspect that I, it depends, like it could where I'm at in the series now, it could go to like all religion is fake and stupid and you know, or it could go in another. I don't think it'll go that way. I really don't, but I want to finish it to like fully answer yeah. that. This is, we should definitely have a follow up because I love the religious undertones and I, I think that he did a good job in how he played out the story. But I also, like, he wrote more stories in the same world and I want to right. see what happens later on in the world now is understanding. There, is there the six religion. or seven total books? Because there's three in this trilogy, but then there's also like the. <laughs> Laws there's of Alloy sec- or something. Yeah, yeah like there's a- the second era books, which are also a set of three. Um, right. Which okay. I it's four now. Oh, is I it think four it's now? four now because he just wrote a fourth one in that. I thought so too. I thought there were seven know. total books in the Mistborn or universe. There might be. I haven't read the <coughs> second era books. It's like Laws of Attraction or something like that. I don't remember. all. They're 
I saw them on Audible, but I haven't mm. got there That'll yet. That'll have so. to be my next pickup. My TBR list is getting way too long. <laughs> As yeah. I say, giving people more recommendations. But you know what's great about that is that just means that you have a podcast just going on and on to the future. It's got so many things to read. So never many ending. things to read. <laughs> Literally never ending. The never ending yeah. story. I I really liked the religious undertones. It's refreshing to me to read mm-hmm. a book that actually cares about incorporating faith into a world. It is so ill either ill-used or underused in fantasy books, right. especially when you're dealing with magic. Magic is inherently spiritual. Uh, and for him to put so much care and thought into it, I really appreciated. Religion is often written off as like a silly thing. It's it's funny to me that so many fantasy books are like magic's real, but religion's stupid. Like, right? <laughs> but that is a thing, like in so much fantasy. So I, I do find it refreshing. I, I have a feeling like the way that you guys talk about it, that it's gonna go in a much better direction than again, I think it is too. It's just that it has that possibility. But which is which is actually fascinating because it's not it it deals with the questions of the faith. It deals with all of the right. questions of like losing your faith, you know, not fully understanding things. So I, I think that is interesting. I think it should be incorporated into more stories because it's the human story. You know, we all believe in something. We all worship something. So ignoring that always feels like there's kind of a hole in a in a universe, in a story. So Totally agree. Any last thoughts, Abby? Never. I never have last thoughts. <laughs> never. Never. You hated it. Don't read it. No, I really like I really liked it. It is a very good book and it's a very thought-provoking story, which I think is the best thing about literature. I mean, I don't I don't read to just have fun. I I don't think it's a book is particularly worth the time if there's not something to think about and talk about. This has so many different things to talk about for a really long period of time, which I think makes <laughs> we it have worthwhile done that. itself. Yes. <laughs> Any last thoughts, PJ? Uh no, I, I, I've been enjoying the book. I'm actually hoping that we do get together and do another kind of follow-up to to the trilogy and even maybe some of the later books. Um, outside of that, I just wanted to remind people really quick that we are doing another Hawkhound. I know we only did, or uh, sorry, Dogpile episode this Friday on Hawkhound Media Channel. So 7 p.m. on Friday, we're going to be getting together, Jess, Abby, me, and Katie. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's our kind of monthly get together we get to talk about all the all the things and i have a conspiracy that i'm saving for friday that my brother solved after like a year of talking to me about this thing so it's kind of an interesting one that uh he called me the other day super excited that he solved it and uh we're going to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff so that is so exciting well thank you guys again for joining me tonight i hope you guys uh who are listening got a chance to read mistborn and if you haven't Go read it. Go read uh, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn Trilogy. It's a great book series. Great if you're in a reading slump. Best magical system, uh, I feel like, out there. So go check it out and tune in next week. Next week is Valentine's Day, so I'm not going to be live. But Abby and I are going to talk about our top 10 favorite romances. So stay tuned for that. That'll be fun. All right. See y'all later. (laughs) 